totally impressed with all of you who remember to set your clocks for it and get out of bed. I sent, the, I sent the band a text last night that said, don't forget to set your clocks forward. And Jason, the bass player, at like 8.45 this morning, he's like, what? I'm supposed to come? Church, what? It was, it was wonderful. Uh, if you are new, welcome to Element. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables around the room. You can grab those if you want. Or if you have a smartphone, you can get an app called Uversion. And click on Live. Live will bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get all the sermon notes and verses that we go over this morning. So i got two little things before we start. The first one is this. There's a lot of guys and a few girls who like UFC. Okay. If you are one of, woo, if you just wooed, okay, in the back there's a sign-up that says UFC. We have one of the guys here who says we should start, not here, but in people's houses, start doing you know, some of these things because people enjoy watching the fights. So if, you, if you're one of those people, sign up on the back. If you at some point would like to host one, write host next to your name so we can get that together. The next one's in two weeks. So sign up. You know, we'll get together and maybe after it's over we'll make a little brick octagon in the backyard and you guys can beat each other up. It'll be wonderful and great. At the end of the, next thing is at the end of this service, uh, uh, Carrie Foster, she manages Jamba Juice in town, and she got us on this program where anybody go to Jamba Juice? Anybody like Jamba? Okay, if you go to Jamba, like, you know, maybe once every two weeks or something, you know, not like once a year, but like every, every few weeks, she's going to be in the back when we're done. She's going to have some little Jamba things that you can actually have a little Jamba Juice this morning. And what she's going to give you is a little card. And the little card, if you get Jamba Juice, you swipe that when you get your Jamba Juice, and Element gets like 5 to 10% of that. I know. You buy Jamba, we get money. It's amazing. <laughs> Give those to everybody in town that would just be awesome. So if you want to, sign up in the back or see her when we're done. She'll probably give you a little free Jamba Juice and that as well. It'll be awesome. Why don't you guys stand with me to read into God's Word? This is Psalm chapter 80, verses 18 and 19. It says this. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty, and make your face shine upon us that we might be saved. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that we as a people would understand what it means to truly be saved and how to live in a community also that is saved and redeemed and how you have called us as a people to listen to each other and to point towards you and to worship you as our God. Help us be those who fully honor you by all that we do. Amen. Have a seat. So we are starting a new book of the Bible today. It may be one you've never heard of before until I started talking about it a couple weeks ago, but it seems its purpose in the scriptures is to teach you and I how to grieve, which is a great thing this morning, having to lose an hour of sleep, I know. Uh, the, it's called the Book of Lamentations. Uh, Lamentations is written by the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. And as we go through subsequent weeks of this, we will not actually cover every single verse in the book. Today we will. We'll cover everything in chapter 1. But on subsequent weeks, we won't cover every verse because I want to leave you some room to explore like the last eight weeks, give you some of the missing words and let you check those out. Now, Lamentations is not well known. And if, you, if I just had you read it on your own, you may be tempted to say that this is the problem with religion. Obscure old poems by angry, confused people that have nothing to do with the world in which I live. But we are on the other side of this. And when you get deep into this book, you find out that it is actually very compelling. It reaches right to where we are as a people. 
Lamentations it is a book is a collection of five poems. Each week we will cover one poem. The third week, well, well chapter three will cover over two weeks because it's twice as long. So we'll get six weeks. Then we hit Easter, Resurrection Day. Yay. Okay, for the, I'm glad a couple of you are excited about Jesus rising from the dead. That was, that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so. Uh, if, if you are new this morning, I don't mean to put any pressure on you, but it'd be great if you came for the next six weeks. Because by the time we hit the end of the book of Lamentations, I think you'll get a great picture of what God intends for His people and how they're supposed to live in joy and grieve and mourn, but move from that to who we are supposed to be. It's going to be an amazing time, hopefully. So, here we go. As we start opening your Bibles in Lamentations chapter 1, I'm going to jump right in. In Lamentations, the first character you meet in this book, he is a narrator. He is distance. He is objective. He's hopefully like a reporter should be today, but they aren't very much so. So at the beginning of the book, you meet this guy. He is he's objective. He kind of stands off, and he's kind of basically telling you what happened. In Lamentations, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, the narrator starts like this. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She, who was queen among the provinces, has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are upon her cheeks. Among all her lovers there is none to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue, pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed, appointed feasts. All her gateways are desolate, her priests groan, her maidens grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. So right here, the narrator starts, and he talks about this she, and the she is a city. She gets personified as a woman. She has been destroyed. She's been hauled into exile. In 722 B.C., the Assyrians come in and they attack Israel. And they basically take over everything except Judah and Jerusalem. In 586 B.C., Jerusalem is then attacked by the Babylonians, and it gets flattened all the way down, burned to the ground. So the narrator opens. He says, she used to be the center. People from all over the world would come to her festivals, but now those festivals are no more. Then the narrator continues. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. All the splendor has departed from the laughter of Zion. Her princes are like deer that find no pasture. In weakness they have fled before the pursuer. So he starts, he's like, life is gone, life has been destroyed. Now, there's a story, you may have even seen the movie, about a Polish piano player named Spielman. What happens with this guy is, is they're growing up, he grows up in Poland. The Nazis come into Poland, they begin taking over. They have a very nice house. The Nazis come and move them from his house and move him into the ghetto of the city known as Warsaw. So they push them into this ghetto in the city, a much smaller house. And then after a while, they come and take them again and put his family into the ghetto of the ghetto, which is very tall, very cramped, very nasty. And eventually they come back again, take his entire family, and they're putting the, his whole family on a train to go to a concentration camp. And as they're getting on this train to a concentration camp, one of the officers recognizes Spielman. He pulls him out of line and he says, run. So Spielman turns around and he runs. And this is the clip of the movie of this. This actually becomes a story of survival. And what happens is you'll, a couple of years go by and he is just living 
in the worst part of the city after it's been burnt out trying to survive. Later in the movie, he goes back down to Warsaw Street after a few years have passed. He goes to his old neighborhood, and then this is what he sees. See, this is where Lamentations comes from. This is when they're talking about what's going on in the city. This is what they feel. This kind of thing right here. No one is left but a few people in the midst of the ashes. And the narrator, very objective, on the outside, and he continues. In the days of her affliction and wandering, Jerusalem remembers all the treasures that were hers in the days of old. When her people fell into enemy hands, there was no one to help her. Her enemies looked at her and laughed at her destruction. Jerusalem has sinned greatly, and so has become unclean. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns away. The word lamentation, it is the word ekha. It's, it's supposed to be pronounced with a catch in your throat. Like, it's, it's the book of how. Like when you see a car accident and you're like, what the? And you can't say it. So it's like the book of ka. Like you can't even say the first part of it. It's what happens after unspeakable trauma takes place and no words suffice. The narrator continues. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was none to comfort her. And partway through verse 9, the narrator sees cruising along. No one surrounds her. She is pulverized, hauled away. No one is coming to comfort her. Then the narrator gets interrupted. He stops, and a woman speaks. Look, O Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. So who is this woman that speaks? This is the city. She's the personification of the city. You get one line from Jerusalem. She is a widow. She is a lover. She is a princess. And for a brief moment, she speaks and says, Look, Lord, what happened to me? Then it's right back to the objective narrator. The enemy laid hands on all her treasures. She saw pagan nations enter her sanctuary, those you had forbidden to enter your assembly. All her people groan as they search for bread. They barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. It's so bad in this city that people are taking their last bit of things, necklaces, wedding rings for the next meal. People are one meal away from death. The narrator is calm and cool, but the woman interrupts again. And she gets more than one line because she's building to something. Look, O Lord, and consider, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look around and see. Is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger? From on high, he sent fire, sent it down into my bones. He spread a net from my feet and turned me back. He made me desolate, faint all the day long. My sins have been bound into a yoke by his hands, they were woven together. They have come upon my neck, and the Lord has sapped my strength. He has handed me over to those I cannot withstand. The Lord has rejected all the warriors in my midst. He has summoned an army against me to crush my young men. In his winepress, the Lord has trampled the virgin daughter of Judah. This is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. No one to restore my spirit. 
My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. The woman, she just lets loose. She's like, whose fault is this? She starts with God. Well, it's God's fault. God, God was angry. God sent these soldiers. God said this. God did that. But then she owns up to it and she says, no, no, it's my sin. No, I reaped what I sowed. And then she changes and she blames the passers-by. You just look, but you could have helped. Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? She is all over the place. The narrator comes back and he's calm and collected in verse 17 and says, Zion stretches out her hands, but there is no one to comfort her. The Lord has decreed for Jacob that his neighbors become his foes. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. And at this point, it's like the, the narrator speaks this line, Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. And he just walks away. He leaves you with that. And as he walks off, the woman then speaks for a third time. And this time she has a lot more to say. The Lord is righteous, yet I rebelled against his command. Listen, all you peoples, look upon my suffering. My young men and maidens have gone into exile. I called my allies, but they betrayed me. My priests and my elders perished in the city while they have searched for food to keep themselves alive. See, O oh Lord, how distressed I am. I am in torment within, and in my heart I am disturbed, for I have been most rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves, and inside there is only death. People have heard my groaning, but there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my distress, and they rejoice at what you have done. May you bring the day you have announced so they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you. Deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my sins. My groans are many, and my heart is faint. Now, if you just read chapter 1, you're depressed, right? You're like, I don't know. I don't want to come back for six weeks of this. You know, it's like, I listen to 30 Seconds to Mars, you know, depressive emo rock. You're from the 80s. It's like Depeche Mode all the time. It's like, do I, do I really need this? And this goes on and on and on. And this is almost foreign to how we live our lives, Unless you think of yourself as a, as a victim all the time and think everybody's always against you. But this goes on for five chapters. And I think Lamentations is good because it's something that we as a people need to understand and we need to proclaim. It is something heavy. It is something that is dark. But there's something in it for us. If you look through the book, there is no God character that speaks up and says, Oh, don't worry. I'll take care of it. It's all going to be okay. There is no answers, no explanations. The whole five chapters, there's emotion laid bare. There's no precious moments, Jesus figure showing up saying, Oh, it'll be fine. It is just lament that goes on and on. And at times, it's incoherent. It is, it's our sin. No, it's God's fault. No, it's our friend's fault. They've abandoned us. And yet there is so much for us to learn here. The book seems foreign to us because we live in a culture of denial. We live in a culture that tries to take all the pain and emotion and push it away. We are taught, oh, we don't talk about that, or we don't say these things aloud, or, or this isn't proper. And when we come across things that pour out emotion, we don't know what to do with it. Just a, a few weeks ago during baptisms, Desiree, she's, she's getting baptized. She's been through some really tough things in her life. And then her life gives her life to Christ. She gets baptized. She comes out of the water, and she's just sobbing. 
And Tom, the guy's back, he's like, gives her a hug. She comes out of the water, and I'm like, you know, and these ladies come around. We don't know what to do with this emotion that just gets poured out. Now, many people here love Apple, right? Anybody have an iPod, iPhone, something? Okay. Macs, iPods, iPhones. I mean, Apple could literally package toilet paper and people would buy it because they just package things so amazingly. Now, I want to show you this. This is from the original iPhone reveal a few years ago. I want you to watch this. Today, we're introducing three revolutionary products of this class. The first one is a widescreen iPod with touch controls. The second is a revolutionary mobile phone. And the third is a breakthrough internet communications device. So, three things. A widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communications device. An iPod, a phone, and an internet communicator. An iPod, a phone. Are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device. And we are calling it iPhone. Today, Today, Apple is going to reinvent the phone. This is church at its highest form. It is the high priest wears the same outfit every single gathering. The crowd waits for the words on high. The message is delivered to its people. There are high fives. There's screaming. There's yelling. There's shouting. They share their joy in a communal way. We look on the outside. Some of us are like, well, that's a little odd. You have the look on the crowd's faces. At one point later, he says, it's running like a five Kajuta hooky processor or something like that. And the crowd almost wets themselves. They're like, oh my goodness, look at that. Now, I, I get to make fun of Apple because I, I adore their products. Now, if you look at, at education in the United States for the last hundred years, which we've all been a part of, we are taught explicitly or implicitly that if you give human beings enough time, enough resources, that we will figure this all out. We will bring utopia. We will make it all happen the way it's supposed to. And at Apple, what you see is this wishful bliss over a piece of metal you stick in your pocket because this has been the answer to all of my problems and all of my questions. The iPhone. I have found utopia, and it sits in my pocket. Praise Steve Jobs. That's what we do. Religious ritual at its finest. And the God is us. Give us enough time, we'll figure it out, we'll fix the world's problems. More time, we can do it. Here is the problem. The Titanic sank. 
We are people who built this. That, oh, this is the height of technology. Nothing will sink this ship. The problem, something did sink that ship. The Titanic is a great metaphor for us and the give us more time. Because in the last hundred years, more people have died by the hands of other humans than in all of human history combined. We live with this sense and are told we will make it better. And we look back at the barbaric, archaic bumpkins from Bible times and think how much smarter and better off we are. And yet we have managed to kill more of each other in the most technologically advanced, scientifically enlightened state ever. Do you see how living in a culture of denial at its core is conflicted, just like the woman in Lamentations? Because we are not sorting it out, but we deny that and we act like we are. And our denial puts us in awkward positions in a whole lot of ways in our lives. As an example, in our culture, we don't know what to do with death, with aging, with heading downhill. Here's a number for you. 17.3 billion. That is an estimate from 2010 of what people spend on cosmetic surgery. 17.3 billion. I would say that number is a big failure on our culture's part in coming to grips with the fact that we are getting older. We get a nip, a tuck, an augmentation. Those things won't change that fact. We don't know how to lament as we age, especially for our age. The highest selling video games today are ones where people are killing each other. And if you live in a culture of denial, then video games where you shoot each other become powerful because we're thinking we're going to figure this out even if it kills us. In a culture of denial, pain and hurt goes to a place where we say, no, humanity will figure it out. We will make this better. We get conflicted because the truth stares us in the face every single day that we are not figuring it out and we are not the answer. In a culture of denial, when things are not properly lamented, we get conflicted and if we can't lament it, it, ha it can't go anywhere. And our pain has to go somewhere. You know, right now, every night you hear on the news people dying in the Middle East. But you do not see our soldiers in body bags or coffins. Be, you hear numbers but not see them because photos have been banned of fallen servicemen. Now, I think that's probably a good thing. We don't need to see that. But it's also a larger symptom of our culture of denial because we don't know what to do with certain things. And so we do everything in our lives to try and keep ourselves safe, to buffer us from pain and hurt and not have to deal with the reality of what life is. And when somebody does die, if you've ever seen footage of funerals in the western United States, everybody's very stoic. Everybody's very quiet. If somebody sobs, they, they kind of sob and someone hugs them. If you look at a funeral in the Middle East, people from Israel to Iraq, they throw themselves on the coffin. They wail. They tear their clothes. They hire professional mourners to walk down the street who don't even know the person. And they wail and scream. And we say, what kind of primitive barbaric thing is that? And actually, that one culture may be far more advanced than the other who stuffs it and represses it. Some people point to 1 Thessalonians 4.13 where it says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. So, oh, we need to be very stoic. But that's not what that verse refers to. You know, what this, this doesn't refer to lament. He's contrasting those who believe have a different hope, one that is known. But Scripture says we are to mourn. We, this morning reminds us that death is not good and death is not right. The power of lament is that it speaks into what a culture would love to repress. The typical response to tragedy is to try to banish it from our consciousness, to not worry about it. I personally wonder how many families and marriages and friendships could be saved if someone stood up and simply said, we've got to talk about this. We've got to deal with this problem. We are not the answer. It has to go somewhere rather than burying it. How many offices or institutions we'd better serve if someone said, we need to stop denying and simply speak what we're feeling? 
A lament's power is to speak the words that a culture or environment would love to shove away and repress. That is why Lamentations is relevant to us as a people. It will teach us how to grieve. It will teach us how to speak the words that need to be spoken. Because pain goes somewhere if it's not dealt with. I mean, even reading chapter 1, we don't know what to do with the rawness of it. We're like, oh, six weeks of this. How could I live through that? So I'm going to give you three things from chapter 1 as an overview that I think we can learn from Lamentations. Number one is this, which you just talked about. Lamentation will teach us how to navigate our culture of denial, where it is unhealthy. Laments expose the truths that people try to suppress. The second thing is that lamentation speaks of need. It speaks of need. Specifically in chapter 1, it speaks of her need. What is her need in chapter 1? Is it to have her suffering alleviated, to have her city put back together, to have everything rebuilt? No. Multiple times she says this. In verse 12 she says, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? In verse 18 she says, Listen, all you people. In verse 19 she says, I called to my allies. She says, it's like I called. My pain, is it nothing to you? No one will listen. Her urgent pressing need is simply to have somebody listen. She's like, how can you walk by and not hear me? Let me give you a couple more numbers. It kind of shows the world in which we live in. One-third of African-American males between the ages of 20 and 29 years old are in prison or on parole. 65% of kids in African-American homes have no dad. Of that 65%, 90% have no contact with their father or do not know who their father is at all. So what you have is the unraveling of a culture. Now, if you're in a culture where you have one-third of young men in jail or on parole and you try to talk about it and nobody listens to you, what happens? You move from sad to angry. And then you got the middle-class white dude pulls up to a traffic light, then somebody pulls up in a car next to them with a the refrigerator the size of the trunk in the back seat, going pooping dogs five blocks away or howling because it's, it's loud. And we look at this and we go, oh, well, what's up with that? Well, maybe it's a lament. Maybe that's a lament, whether right or wrong or how you feel about gangster rap or whatever. It, maybe it's a lament. Maybe it's a generation that started sad and got angry because they felt hopeless. Maybe it has moved to anger. Maybe some people don't even know why they're angry anymore. It's just part of the culture because the rest of the culture refuses to listen to the lament and they deny that something's going on. Your ability to listen to the pain of another is usually proportional to how well you have faced your own pain. The woman's pressing need is to have somebody listen. And until we can listen, people will lament louder and louder, sometimes with more bass, sometimes with punk rock, sometimes with electric guitars. In verse 12, she asks this question. She says, Is any suffering like my suffering? And then she almost leaves that with you. She gets up and she walks off because she wants to leave that question there. Is any suffering like my suffering? Have you ever gone through something terrible? And you tell somebody, you just you spew it out and let them hear it. And somebody simply heard what you were saying. Maybe said, oh, that must have been terrible, or, or I'm really sorry, or I can't imagine how you dealt with that. That actually feels really good. I have a friend in my life who I was talking to one time, and I said, what can I do for you? And he goes, just listen. And so sometimes I do that, and they just listen to me, and it actually works out so much better when someone just hears what I say. I can cope so much better. 
This is one of the ways that God created people to live in community. This is why we push small groups and gospel communities so hard at Element because this is also done in community to speak into each other's lament. James 5, 13 through 16 says, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The verse is not, oh, you're sick? Suck it up, stupid, and pray. It's, it's about God using the people around you to come together for healing of deep wounds. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. If you are going through the desert and you are longing for water, this is like water in the desert. This lamentation, it will give us the ability to navigate our culture of denial. It will speak of our need, and lamentation also gives voice to our anger. And anger is okay if it's used properly. If you go through the checkout line at a grocery store, there are usually a whole bunch of magazines on the side when you check out. Do you know which ones sell? It's the ones that are angry. It's the ones where have the main story where she's talking about the breakup after it happened. Last year, Sandra Bullock and the whole breakup thing, that issue sells three to seven times more copies than the issue where she's doing well. When she says, this is what went down, everybody goes, ooh, I got to read that. I, I got I to gotta find out what's going on there with that. And, and why does everyone read that? Because in a culture of denial, where we don't know how to work out laments. When someone on a big scale goes through something that we have all experienced in a small way, we begin to identify a little bit with that. Let me, let me show you uh, one of the largest selling entertainment weeklies from last week. Why does this sell so much? Because everybody identifies a little bit. Charlie Sheen goes off the rails. I mean, we don't go off the rails as spectacularly as Charlie Sheen did. But we all go off the rails a little bit, and we identify, and we look at that. Peter Rollins like this. He says, For in tapping into the suffering of another, we can tap into the deep reservoirs of our own suffering. It's not just what she's going through or what Charlie Sheen's going through. It's what we all have gone through. A few years ago, Princess Diana dies. If you remember, there's this overwhelming worldwide response. And I was pretty young with that when this happened. And I was like, I don't get it. What's going on? Anguish on a worldwide scale. And I, what I didn't understand then, what I kind of do now, is it wasn't necessarily just about Diana's death. The only thing that makes sense is that we live in a culture of denial, and we look for things to latch onto. A lament is supposed to be something that is no longer stuffed or buried. It is something that is finally spoken aloud. In Lamentations, the narrator speaks and the woman interjects two lines. The narrator, he keeps going, and now she speaks up more. Then he goes on, and at the end, she just gushes everything out. Until, it's like almost until she speaks, she can't heal. Kathleen O'Connor, she writes a book called Lamentations, the Tears of the World. And in this book, she says this, Lamentations names what is wrong, what is out of order in God's world, what keeps human beings from thriving. Simple acts of lament expose these conditions. Name them, like here's where I grieve and this is where I was, went wrong. Open them to grief and anger and make them visible for remedy. It means there's no longer an elephant in the room. There's nothing hidden. Everything is exposed. What Lamentations is, is it is a gift that God gives his people for healing. That's what it is. Two-thirds of the book of Psalms are Psalms of Lament. The word lament is used 31 times in the Old Testament. God made his people with the ability to speak. The key to easing suffering is not offering crazy warped views of God. 
It's giving people a place to mourn and pointing them to Jesus. And for some people, a place to lament seems very depressing, but it's actually a place of great freedom because it's supposed to lead to joy and hope. I mean, here's a question. Do you think Jesus wants to hear your lament? Of course he does. Of course he does. There is a place in a moment to be sad, but he wants to take you from that so you don't live in that, to move you to joy and to hope. He wants to listen. Does he want you to let it just burst forth? Of course he does. In Psalm 6, 9, it says, The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. He says this again in Psalm 28, 6, 31, 22, 40, verse 1, 116, verse 1. In Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you think God understands what we have gone through? Do you think God understands lament? Of course God does. In Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. Jesus, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus comes in human flesh. He lives a sinless life that pleases the Father. He is perfect and he laments on the cross. The moment he takes our sin upon himself, he cries out in a loud voice in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six: My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In a loud voice voice. Jesus understands the lament better than we can imagine. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus doesn't intend to leave us destitute and destroyed and abandoned. He intends us to rebuild you and I into the new creation that we are supposed to be. He intends to remake us and make us new. Now, we're going to do something that might be strange for you this morning. But what I want to do as we started Lamentations is we wanted to give you the ability to lament, to have a place to do that. There, we have actually asked extra deacons and elders to be here this morning. And there are going to be some in the back. They're going to be out the side doors. And we, we don't want you to feel awkward and weird. If you want to talk to them, you have something you need to lament just to get off your chest that you feel like you haven't been able to, we want to let you do that. If you want to, you can grab them and walk out to your car so you're not standing there. You can go hide behind the dumpster in the back. I don't know. You know, go sit in the bathroom and shut the door and, and then and talk to them. Whatever you need to do. But we want to give you the ability to lament this morning, to be able to begin the healing process, and then let them pray for you so you can grow into who God calls you to be. You must begin to let go of the pain and embrace Christ. Now, the band's going to come back up. And as, as they do, usually we'll sing like 52 happy songs a year. And sometimes that's great. You can build happy from, you know, the inside of you. But sometimes, in the beauty of a community, we can take time to simply sing songs of reflection. And this morning, we're not going to leave you with happy songs. We're going to do a few songs that kind of talk about what this is. Is there anything you need to grieve? Is there anything you need to let out? Today is the day to do it. Today is the day to learn to lament like i said people on all the doors and also if you walk down the hallway usually we have the the symbols on the wall what somebody has done for us is they have actually created a, a prayer wall and if you would like on all the communion tables there's a little gray piece of paper you can write your lament or your prayer on that roll it up and stick it in the wall there's actually uh, pieces of paper in front of that wall and you can write them on those roll it up and stick them in the prayer wall hopefully by the end of lamentations that thing is just full of our laments and our prayers because God does want to hear it. God wants to heal us 
and make us whole. As always, we do invite you guys to communion where you break the cracker, which represents his body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice that represents his blood that was shed for you and I. So we have our sins forgiven and we can be full and healed people. There are offering boxes on the sidewall in the back and we give you the opportunity to give every week because giving is part of our worship. And again, fellowship. Where you guys get together, talk to each other, and hopefully get into a gospel community where you can lament together and grow into the places of joy and hope. This is not meant to be, I'm totally depressed, I don't know what to do with my life at this point. It is meant to be moving from pain to hope. And that is where Lamentations will take us, from pain to joy to hope. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take us from a people who live in pain to a people of joy and hope. That we would honor you as a God who listens to the lament of his people. Who takes a book of the Old Testament where people wail in their pain and you listen and you honor it. Where you take another book full of supposed to be songs of praise called the book of Psalms and two-thirds of those are songs of lament. It lets us know that you are a God who longs to hear us. This morning, make us a people who speak what is going on inside of us, who honor you as our God by speaking those things that need to be spoken and coming to truly understand your love and your grace for us. Have us begin to truly live as your people, as you call us to. Thank you for being our God. Amen.